It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live, the Standing Room Spartans podcast, the Monday edition, the post-win edition, the post-top 10 win edition. My co-host is back, Scott. We we got a week, uh, not a week, a day here to, to kind of chew on this thing. And uh, how are we feeling? Well, we're feeling great. You know, I, I was under the weather the last couple of weeks, was in and out of the pod, so really excited to be back. Obviously picked a great day to come back. Uh, yesterday was probably one of the better days we've had as a Spartan um, in recent memory. I mean, I, obviously it'd be hard to go back and, and think about each individual day, but I'd say at least the best day since Mel Tucker got hired and we beat Illinois on the road in basketball last spring. So uh, yeah, super excited. We have a ton to get through and uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, man. I mean, like exciting day for Michigan state sports. I mean, the hockey team gets a big win. Obviously the basketball team got a huge win, uh, right after we basically finished, they tipped off against Notre Dame again, just as a reminder for everybody, this is a football podcast, so we won't be breaking down the basketball stuff. Um, if you are interested in, uh, some basketball content, like I know the guys over at Spartan hoops, they do a pretty good job of it. So, you know, you can always do your, uh, standing room Spartans as your football pod. You got Spartan hoops as your basketball pod. You can kind of look at it that way and, and get all of your Michigan state athletic talk. Um, but again, yeah, we we're not here to break down the basketball team though. They are looking pretty darn good. They are looking pretty darn athletic. Uh, Marxist Bingham out there finally making an impact. So, uh, you know, exciting, like fun time for Michigan state sports for the first time in a while since you know, we had the uh, the the good Mark D'Antonio teams combined with an Izzo basketball team that, you know, is always a threat to go to the final four. And and so for the first time in, you know, five or so years, it, it feels like there's some excitement in both programs. So that's always good to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, on top of it, you know, we got to see a Michigan loss yesterday, which uh, obviously we're trying not to fixate too much on, on, the Wolverines down in Ann Arbor, but uh, you know, I think there's a lot of listeners who are probably pretty excited to see the way their season has gone as well. Um, and, and they're in a tough spot. I mean, you know, I, a lot has been made of the hardball buyout, whether they can get out of that contract this year, we'll see what happens, but uh, all in all, you know, just a great, a great day in sports yesterday. And uh, it's a, it feels great to be a Spartan this morning. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to the whole mailbag segment later on. There was a bunch of good questions, but since you brought it up, I got to give Mason some love here. Um, our guy, nudie fish, he posted the question by only winning big games. Mel Tuck is truly showing himself to be the anti Harbaugh. And I thought that was, that was an excellent Perfect. take. Uh, you know, you look at U of M uh, the last, you know, basically since Harbaugh was hired, they're 10 and 17 against ranked opponents. They're 0 and 12 as an underdog. Mel Tucker basically flipping that completely on his head, uh, really only beating the the ranked opponents that are on our schedule. So, uh, man, it, it's it's a fun time. And look, I this is somewhere I, I kind of want to start. We'll, we'll get to, you know, some big picture stuff and everything. But since we were, we're kind of talking about the win against a ranked team, I just want the public service announcement here because you're going to hear this as, as Michigan state football fans. I don't know if it'll be during the course of this week, as early as this week. I don't know if it'll be 
you know, something that we have to wait until next off season at some time you're going to hear the comment that, well, you know, Mel Tucker, Michigan state, they beat a top 10, top 10 team, but now let's be honest. It was Northwestern. They weren't really a top 10 team. And I want all of that garbage gone because going into this game, Northwestern, and this was regionally, this was even nationally. Northwestern was a team that, man, coming off a, a two-score win against Wisconsin, is this a team that can maybe give Ohio State a run for their money in Indy? Is this a college football playoff contender? That was out there. So I want that same energy when they come out against a loss, uh, you know, come out of a loss against Michigan State. This isn't suddenly just a bad team. So don't let people get you down. This is a win against a top 10 Northwestern team, no matter how much they're going to try to play it down. Yeah. I mean, they've only given up like 12 points per game um, through this, through the season, which was just about tied for first. I think Wisconsin's at like 11 and a half points per game allowed this year. So this is one of the best defenses, if not arguably the best defense in the big 10 this year. Um, I know their offense was hit or miss and they weren't beating anyone with their offense necessarily, but I mean, this was a great team. And if you want to validate some of the great teams we had under Mark D'Antonio throughout the years, you know, that didn't necessarily have prophetic offenses, then by all means, you need to be validating this Northwestern team. Um, we'll get into how it happened and how it played out, but I agree. I mean, it's, it's a lazy take to say, you know, Northwestern's not a top 10 team. Listen, not every top 10 team finishes a season in the top 10. I think that's, that's pretty clear. You get some stronger and weaker top 10 teams, but they are on their way there. They beat some great teams this year and uh, they just, you know, came up against a strong, well-prepared Michigan state team yesterday. And uh, you know, credit to Mel Tucker, the coaching staff for having the guys ready. But I mean, this was, this was a phenomenal team that we played and, uh, and, and it was just a great performance. Like I said, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I agree. I mean, give credit where credit's due. This was a vaunted defense coming in and uh, we made just enough plays to come out with the win. Yeah. And th I, that's just, I wanted to get that off my chest here. Cause look, I mean, the, the next two games, they're going on the road to Minnesota and then they got Illinois at home. Like there's a very real chance that they come out of this regular season seven and one, and this is their only loss. So um, I just wanted to make sure we got that out of the way, but um, starting, we'll, we'll get to some matchups. We'll get to, you know, individual players that we saw play, play very well. Some of the young talent that really uh, came out to play on Saturday. But I guess where I really want to start this, Scott, is like as big as the Michigan game was, as big of a program boosting win, you know, first year head coach on the road against a bitter rival uh, who's in what year six of, of their coaching staff. And you come out with a win in-state opponent, huge, gigantic. This game to me is bigger in the sense that, look, like this was a, a process win. This, this was what Mel Tucker had in mind when he's approaching this season, when he's looking at his football team and saying, this is what we want to do. This is what our identity is going to be. Like that Michigan game, look, the, the game plan – going into your coaching staff, uh, into your, into your off season, isn't all right on offense. We're going to throw the ball 50 yard chunk plays, you know, every drive. And that's how we're going to move the ball on offense. Like that's, that's not the plan. It worked for that game. It certainly was a huge win, but this game, we saw the running game finally get off the ground. We saw a tremendous defensive performance. We saw a physical as football team, this was a game where we started to get a peek into the process and what Mel Tucker is trying to build here. Yeah. And, and shout out to uh, Buckarine podcast on Twitter. They actually asked the question directly, is this win more important than the, the Michigan win? So uh, we would have got to it in the mailbag, but just wanted to get that shout out out there since we're talking about it. Um, and, and yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think there's certainly an argument to be made that the Michigan game was quote unquote, more important because it was kind of like a coming out party for Mel Tucker. There were a lot of eyes on it. It was obviously a big rivalry game um, and, and everything that comes along with a Michigan-Michigan State matchup. And uh, at the time, given Michigan's ranking, you know, it looked like an even bigger uh, upset than I think we'd probably classify it as now. So there's an argument there that the Michigan game was was more important or more, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, but I agree. This game, I mean, it's kind of – 
more of what we expected coming into the season. I remember on one of the preseason podcasts, you know, we were kind of breaking down what we, we expected to see from this team. And we said we expected an effective running game that took the pressure off our quarterback play, regardless of who was playing quarterback and a strong defense to back that up and play complimentary football. We hadn't really seen that, like you said, a lot this year. Obviously, our defense has been kind of up and down this year. Quarterback play has been more down than up this year. Um, but the running game was really that part, you know, the offensive line was really struggling to open up holes and get a push and the running backs just were not finding holes at all. So, um, like you said, it's coming together, everything that Tucker has been preaching, at least that we've seen publicly, you know, you, you could visualize that in this game and say, clearly the players believe in that. And they're trying to, to play with that, um, ethos in mind. Um, and it's rubbing off on them and, you know, it's it's a good Northwestern's a good team to do it against. Whether or not you're somebody who thinks they passed the top ten eye test, either way, that was a really strong defense. And and to say before the game, you know, Michigan State's going to win this by running it down Northwestern's throat. <laughs> nobody, you know, nobody would have believed you had you said that. So it was like you said, really, you you could see the fundamentals coming together. It was a clean, you know, not mistake free, but mistake limited game of football. And like I said earlier, they just made just enough plays to hang with them throughout the game and, and just uh, have a couple bounces near the end of the game and come out with the win. No, it's it's funny you say that because that was my thought exactly. As you know, I'm starting to sit down this morning. We're we're rewatching the game. I got my cup of coffee, and I'm like, okay, so what what happened yesterday? I'm just kind of going through my brain of. Uh, everything. And, and we talked about it before the game. I actually put some money down on the Michigan state uh, money line just to win straight up because the way I looked at it is you, you go into a vacuum and you say, okay, there's, there's two teams that are playing this Saturday. One team is coming off a bye week They're at home. Uh, they're getting some guys back uh, in the defensive backfield. You know, they, they haven't had a whole lot of luck injury wise, and the other team, they're coming off a huge emotional win uh, against a great opponent. They're in the top 10 for the first time in ages. And I said, you know, give me that home underdog every single time, you know, whether that's Michigan State or whether it's Akron. I don't care. Given those circumstances, I, I always have to sprinkle a little bit on that money line. So uh, Michigan State beating Michigan and Northwestern this year has basically made me a very happy and and very rich man in the gambling sense. Now I've lost all of that money since gambling on the other games. But if if you came in before this game, let's say two thirty Eastern time, and somebody came back from the future, they said, "Kevin, Michigan State is about to win this game." I would be surprised, certainly. But it would be like, okay, yeah, yes, of course. Well, we we got a couple deep balls. We we maybe forced a couple turnovers, and, and you know the Northwestern just didn't play that well. And then this you know mysterious man from the future says, no, 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 you're you're gonna run for 200 yards on f almost five yards a carry against this Northwestern defense. You're gonna limit them to under two yards a carry. And you're just going to beat them down throughout the course of this game. I That's where I would be like, no, no way. Like, come on, dude, we're not running for 200 yards against anybody. So yeah, that, that was definitely the shocking result that came out of this weekend. Yeah. And if you're looking for like, you know, one stat that really tells the story in this game, I think to me, it's time of possession. It's something that Mark D'Antonio preached quite a bit in his time. It's something that you know, you, you get it in coach talk a lot, you know, control the time of possession, win the time of possession into, you know, your everyday fan, you're like, blah, you know, whatever, fine. <laughs> like coaches want to have the ball, but like it, it, in your head, you're really like, did it, it, does it really matter that much? But to put it in perspective. So yesterday we had the ball for 32 and a half minutes to Northwestern's 27 and a half, not, not an incredible um, advantage, but you know, we did have the ball more than them. Indiana last week, we had the ball for 20 minutes. Iowa, we had the ball for 28 minutes. <laughs> um, and consistently, as you go through this, you know, this schedule throughout this year, we, in the games we won, we controlled time of possession. In the games we lost, we didn't. And obviously a lot of that has to do with the fact that the running game was effective. The defense was more or less getting off the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a great team win. Um, I And, and you know, you go back to kind of 
like I said, we weren't mistake free, but we did limit our mistakes. I mean, I, I went through and made a list of a few moments in the game where I was like, oh, geez, is, is this going to be, you know, that that shot in our own foot that like does all of them were when we were punting the ball. <laughs> you had bad punts. I think uh, Bryce Berenger, I, he looked so good at the start of the season and hopefully he can turn it around. He's a fifth year senior, so you wouldn't necessarily expect this kind of inconsistency, but he had two punts for an average of like 23 yards yesterday. I think he had a 37 yarder and an 11 yarder. So not his best day. Obviously Crawford came in halfway through. You had really questionable fielding decisions on the part of Jaden uh, Reed. He had a fair catch at the six yard line. He caught a kickoff literally at the sideline that was clearly going out of bounds. He had another kick return. He brought out of the end zone to like the 12 yard line. You had the kick catch interference by Julian Barnett, which I know it was a short punt, but it's still really pretty inexcusable. I mean, he ran into him very early and then you had the missed field goal, which I think given Coughlin's day overall, I don't think many people would hold that against him. It was a 49 yarder. He made three out of four, but um, you know, you had the late interception by Rocky. That was, unfortunately kind of a vintage Rocky mistake, you know, similar to his earlier season mistakes where Patty Fisher was just absolutely draped on Reed and he just threw it right to him. You had drive extending penalties on defense a few times and, and you, and overall, you know, we just, we had this big lead. You saw it just at, you know, ebb away throughout the course of the game you know, going into the fourth quarter, it was like, what, what is our offense going to do? We've been dead since the first quarter. Um, and it just, there was so much adversity in this game that you could, you know, watching the game, you were sitting there like, do we have kind of the mental wherewithal to, to pull ourselves back together, make enough plays to stay in this game and, and eventually make, by the time we were losing and tied near the end, make enough plays to actually find more points and win the game. So, I mean, it was a phenomenal effort. I, I really... I think it shows mentally that this team is starting to believe in itself that even when, you know, they had every reason to say, okay, we made some plays early, but it's just not our day. They didn't, you know, they didn't let that happen. They continued to make plays, continue to stay in the game. And obviously we know, we know the result. Yeah. It's funny you say that like uh, Jeffrey, the Greek on Twitter, he, he talks about this all the time, and especially when it's related to Northwestern, but you have some of these games where you just, uh, you have a lot of clenched buttholes towards the end. And and that was, this was a classic example of that because you get out to that 17, nothing lead. And then the whole rest of the game, you're just kind of like, okay, you know, the Northwestern comes down, they get a field goal. Okay. We we still got two, two possession lead. They come down, they get another field goal. Okay. Okay. We held them. I'll do another field goal. We're good. 11 point lead. They come down, they get a touchdown. You're like, okay uh yeah yeah we're good we're good no no problem it just kept feeling like we're just hanging on for dear life uh but you know eventually of course we come out with the win and and it was an emotionally taxing game but yeah there's there's certainly a lot to get to here I mean like as far as any individual performances anything that stood out Scott I'll I'll let you kick this one off like where where do you want to go from here yeah I mean there were Individually, there were, I think, quite a few different, um, you know, guys that stuck out and had a, a couple big plays here and there. But one one guy that really I felt had a true breakout game was uh, Anthony Gross on defense playing Angelo. that nickel corn. Sorry, Angelo, Angelo. excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> new freshman, got to get the names down. Um, but Gross, I mean, I think it started kind of middle second quarter, but all of a sudden you just I just started seeing, you know, Gross on the back of the name of, of the guy making these plays on defense and over and over, it was like, Whoa, who made that play? And it it was 15 again and again and again, there was one drive where he had like three straight open field tackles. I think two of them were tackles for loss all in one drive. Um, He was just flying around and he really, you know, we're, we're kind of starting to get used to and understand what kind of play this coaching staff is looking for out of that uh, fifth defensive back, that nickel back, you know, they've talked about the fact that they want it to be a hybrid cornerback, safety, linebacker, pass rusher, and Gross, really, he did all of those things. He didn't end up with a sack, but he did have a quarterback hit on a third down that he rushed a pass that was ended up being a pretty bad pass that got them off the field. He obviously, like I said, had a, quite a few open field tackles, a couple big hits, uh, and a pass breakup. I mean, he was just flying around. 
um, and, and really, really stuck out to me. And, uh, and, and I'm excited because, you know, obviously he's a freshman. He's not losing eligibility by playing this year. He's, he should be around for a long time. And if he can continue to build on performances like that, I think we have, uh, you know, somebody who could grow into a star. Um, and hopefully we'll see what happens, you know, in the next game or however many games they have left, left this year. But hopefully he will uh, make that position his as he continues to get playing time. Yeah, that's that's one of the big takeaways for me is uh, like Gross played out of his mind. He played outstanding. But one of the kind of bigger picture things, too, is like the cupboard isn't empty, right? Like we were worried about that going into this year and, and even certainly after a few games here. But you're starting to see some of these younger players really step up into bigger roles, Gross being one of them. Kalon Gervin, you know, we forget how young some of these guys are, but especially in the defensive backfield, these guys are stepping up and making plays. Michael Fletcher continues to get more and more playing time as the season goes on. He had a couple of QB hurries that I noticed. There was one, I, I remember it was a third down and like he came all the way off the backside and chased down Peyton Ramsey and forced him into a tackle by, I think it was either Antoine Simmons or Noah Harvey, but like some of these young guys are really starting to step up. We know about the wide receivers and and you're starting to get an idea of like, look, can, can this, can the talent on this roster go out and win a big 10 championship like next year? No, but we're starting to see enough guys stepping up that, you know, Hey, is a nine, 10 win season in the next year or two totally out of the question? Like, absolutely not. Um, so yeah, that, that was a big one, you know, staying on the defensive side. I just, you know, I'll, I'll say this every week. It's, it's the weekly Antoine Simmons segment because this dude's so good. And I feel like we're taking him for granted a little bit and we're really going to miss him when he's gone. Not only like, you know, I said it last week, but not only on the field, but his leadership is so important to this team, but man, is that dude a good football player? Like you look at the stats, of course, 13 tackles, two, two tackles for loss, a sack, but the context of all of those. And then you add in the fact that there was a play I noticed for sure. And you know, there's a couple of these every game, but there was one where the Northwestern was running like a little outside zone. They were pulling their guard and Antoine Simmons came up and blew up this guard. This guy's probably got 80 pounds on Simmons. He's he's a little bit of an undersized linebacker. He came in, blew up the guard who's supposed to be the lead blocker on the play. He allows Noah Harvey to go in there and make a tackle like at one yard above uh, ahead of the line of scrimmage. So it's, it's on the stat sheet. He's, he's filling that for sure, but it's, it's even more than that. This dude is such a good football player that it's going to suck to see him leave and, and hopefully we can find some replacements behind him. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure we shout that out, that this is really one of the best defensive players that we've had in the last decade or so. Yeah. I mean, you know, you said it all to add to what you said. I mean, he single-handedly got our defense off the field on Northwestern's first drive. They were moving it. They had like, I think three or so first downs already on that drive. Um, And obviously, you know, everybody knows how important that first drive is both on offense and defense. And, you know, they were down to like second and uh, excuse me, third and two, I think. Uh, first play, you know, they're like you said, running another off tackle to the right side and Simmons just, you know, sharked under the offensive tackle and, and slammed the running back. Right. I think it was like a one yard gain, but nonetheless didn't give up the first down and it forced uh, Pat Fitzgerald into his first go for it on fourth down decision. Um, and, and for those that remember, that was the play where for whatever reason, Northwestern just decided not to block Antoine Simmons at all. <laughs> um, and he just shot through the a gap and blew up the play like three yards in the backfield. So, you know, it's, it's just that, you know, individually they're great plays, but also situationally when your defense kind of is starting to get their backs up against the wall, they're on their heels a little bit. You know, you can count on Simmons if the ball is near him on the field to make a big play and, and get the guys back where we need to be to, uh, to be successful. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, we don't want to take this guy for granted. Um, he's pretty consistently the best defensive player on the field every game, both on the stat sheets and with the intangibles that don't show up on the stat sheets. So, um, and yesterday was no different. He, he is, if we're winning games, he is consistently, you know, one of the probably top three to five reasons we have won those games. So, 
um, yeah, I agree. We're going to miss him. Um, next year, it'll probably be Noah Harvey and Chase Klein back there. So, um, and we can get in a little bit to how they're performing, but uh, yeah, enjoy Simmons while he's still around and uh, hopefully he can continue this performance and stay healthy going into the draft season. Yeah. And, and sticking on the defensive side of the ball, I, a couple other notes here that I wanted to make sure we talked about is one being, I mean, the pressure on Peyton Ramsey, like we were pretty consistently getting after him and it didn't really seem like, you know, it, when you go back and watch it, of course, there was a couple blitzes, but it, it seemed like a lot of just four man organic pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, I have in my notes also that we had, we had pressure all night. There were, like you said, a couple outside blitzes from guys like Gervin or um, gross coming off the edge and forcing him up into defensive tackles. But, but yeah, I mean, we had four sacks last night. I think three of them were by defensive linemen. Um, Mallory had one where, um, Ramsey got chased out of the pocket and he actually caught him from behind. That Beasley had one. Deshaun yeah, Mallory. No, and, and, and this is what you're talking about. I mean, you look at the youngsters we have on this defensive line, Mallory, Beasley, Fletcher, Jalen Hunt made a couple plays. Unfortunately, went down with an injury partway through the game last night. There was one play where Jalen Hunt pushed his, it was, it was a run play, but Jalen Hunt pushed his, um, you know, the guard that was trying to block him probably three or four yards in the backfield, straight into the face of the running back and, you know, totally blew up the play. It ended up being a tackle for loss for somebody else. But, uh, but yeah, all the way across this line, I mean, these guys were dominating the trenches, getting a push, winning the battle for the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and not only in QB pressures, but also in the running game. I mean, Northwestern doesn't have, you know, the most vaunted running game in, in the country, but they only had 1.7 yards per rush. No matter what program you are going up against, that is a horrible night on the ground. Um, so yeah, shout out the defensive line. I think both lines actually were probably our two strongest position groups last night. Obviously everybody made plays last night, but when you look at really what won this game is the fact that we controlled the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And I think the defensive line probably as a group, as a whole had the best night of any position group on the field last night. Yeah. And, and the like one interesting or positive thing I took away from the broadcast uh, which, you know, we'll, we'll make a comment about that, but was, uh, they, they were asking Scotty Hazleton and uh, this was when Jalen Hunt went down, he, he got injured, but they asked him like, you know, who are the best players on this defense? He said, Jalen Hunt was probably the third best player on this, on this defense as a whole. It was pretty eye opening to hear that comment, but dude, this, this brought, since we brought it up, man, this broadcast was so bad. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I, I gave a grade for the commentators and the refs last night. I gave them both D minus. Commentators were probably a little bit worse than the refs, but that. I never that, even heard of these guys, first of all. Like, was this no, their first game together? I wanted to, like, Google it because it, it was so bad. Matt Vick and uh, Bo- Boyman? Boyman? Yeah, I don't know. I had never never seen them. I, I mean, sorry to the guys. I'm sure that, you know, they're hard workers and what, whatnot, but that was a terrible broadcast. There was one moment, it was right near the end of the game. It was our last drive. Northwestern was out of timeouts, and we had the ball with like a minute 10 left going into third down, right? Anybody, you know, anybody who knows anything about football says this is going to be a run. It was like third and 13. And these guys in the broadcast booth were like, this is going to be one of the most important throws in Rocky Lombardi's career. And I'm I like, I think they God. thought the scoreboard was flipped. Like, I think they thought we were down and like, you know, we needed this first down to keep the drive alive. Like, Yeah. there. I mean, there had to be something because we were winning. We we're up three. Like I said, the clock was running. We could get the clock. If we just run the ball, we get the clock down to like 25 seconds and punt like we did. Um, and, and these guys were like, we're going to have to see exactly what Rocky Lombardi's made up here. This is going to have to be a great throw. And I'm just sitting there like, I mean, listen, I'm not an expert at everything. There are plenty of people out there that know football a hell of a lot better than me, but what are you guys talking about? <laughs> well, and, and those are the kind of situations where it's like, you can maybe have the conversation of, you know, Hey, does Mel Tucker even think about throwing the ball here and, and icing right. the game with a first down? Like maybe that's a conversation to have, but the blanket assumption that we're throwing the ball was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I don't know the guys, I'm sure they're great. I'm sure that maybe it wasn't their best game or whatever. And, and maybe, you know, Michigan state Northwestern, they just weren't that excited about it, but 
it was it was enough commentary. I think a lot of us probably tuned him out pretty early in the day. Uh, again, similar note on the refs, just to get it all out there. I thought they had a pretty bad game. They they called a couple offsides on uh, Jacob Slade. That granted, Slade twitched a little bit, but I don't I don't think he entered the neutral zone on either one. Uh, they called them both on him. They had a couple pass interference going both ways that were pretty questionable. Um, and, and, and there were a couple instances that I actually thought they should have gone to review and they didn't use that tool to their advantage either. But um, uh, other than that, if we're, if we're straying away from coaching and, and players here for a second, just want to give a quick shout out to whoever the Michigan state fan was in the, on the field. It was a woman who was screaming her head off every single <laughs> play. I mean, it was like, third and 13 we were like handing it off on an inside zone just to like kill some clock and punt the ball and you just hear on the broadcast just top of her lungs screaming <laughs> urging connor hayward forward every single play hey, you gotta hit. bring that crowd energy in an empty stadium man somebody's got to do it whoever she is shout out to her keep that energy i know a lot of us had that energy at home um and there's only so many people in the in the stadium you know these days who can who can bring that energy so shout out to her (laughs) whoever the mystery fan is um she had a phenomenal game top five performance yeah she she had to bring some energy to the broadcast because you know the announcers certainly weren't doing it that like that was my yeah well we'll get away from the broadcast here but that was my biggest thing was just like it was like they were comment commentating from like the funeral home. Like they, there was just, it was like, they didn't want to get too loud. They didn't want to get too excited. And like, I, I get it. But at the same time, this was a top 10 team was about to lose on the road. It was a one score game, like the whole second half. And you would have thought that this was like a spring game or like some preseason NBA game where there was just, and, uh, you know, like even the Kalon Gervin, like when he, he jumped on the ball in the end zone to ice the game, game's over. It was just, and Kalon Gervin, he jumps on that and uh, Michigan State's going to come out with a win. <laughs> it was yep. like, that's how you remember, announce like the upset of a top 10 team. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Naylor um, touchdown. Oh, yeah. First touchdown. It was like this bomb, this beautiful arcing throw that just drops into the bread basket and he takes it into the end zone. And these guys are like, and uh Rocky gonna wind up and let one go here. And uh Naylor's got it. Uh he's gonna take it all the way for a touchdown. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, that ball went like 60 yards in the air, could not have asked for a better throw. Naylor just absolutely burned his man for a massive touchdown. Probably no matter what happens from then on out is going to be the biggest highlight from the game. And these guys are like acting like it was like a nice six yard run for a first down. Gus Johnson has his flaws. And I think one of, (laughs) one of his biggest flaws is his partner and Joel Klatt. But imagine the difference between the way that they announced that call and the way that Gus Johnson would have announced that. Like it's, it's night and day, but yeah, I mean, you, you remember like the Gus Johnson, uh, Keith Mumphrey down the sidelines from the 2013 big 10 championship yeah. call. I mean, those, those are the, you know, those are the iconic calls that stick in your head. Sparty's got it's like, six. Everybody knows those calls. And, and I mean, we don't always make a lot of broadcasts, but they really do help to provide the full experience around the game, especially now that we can't be in the stadiums and everybody's, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to say forced to watch the broadcast, but we are all watching and getting that experience. Those guys really set the energy and set the tone for the game and the way that it feels and the way that, you know, we, we absorb it. So, you know, you always like to have a good broadcast. A bad one doesn't necessarily ruin the game, but I certainly would have loved to have more energy in that. Uh, but but bringing it back to the game, obviously, um, we, we went over the defense a lot, but let's talk a little bit about the offense, because obviously this was more of kind of the sticking point on this team going into this game. And a, a lot of our bigger problems, I'm not going to say all of our problems, but a lot of our bigger problems, a lot of our biggest eyesores on this team were coming from the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, when you watch that game, what what did you see that really was different about this game? Obviously we talked a little bit about the running game getting going, but like whether it's individuals or position groups or scheme, you know, what, what was the big thing that kind of led to us being in a, in a position to win this game? Yeah. So it's hard because some of it was kind of the same, right? Like Rocky Lombardi hit a deep ball and and that's how we generated some offense was a 75 yard touchdown. And and that certainly is something that's been a part of our offense all year, but it is the rushing game. And, and it's not 
you look at the the final stats, right? 195 yards, 4.1 yards a carry. But it's it's the way that that it was done, right? There were some drives where it was just there was a, a drive. I can't remember the exact time of the game, but it was like we we had a, a penalty brought us back to a first and twenty, I believe, and we got a first down from three running plays, and, and that was kind of the story of the game was where we have been struggling so much, and, and there were like two or three noteworthy runs of the entire season to this point. And we just got five yards here, seven yards here, 10 yards here, six yards here. And it was just these little chunks that we were just chipping away and chipping away, but in a productive way where, where previously it was, all right, we're just going to keep running the ball. We're going to keep trying this thing out, but it was like two yards, one yard, two yards. And it's not productive. So getting those five, six, seven yard chunk plays. We even were talking in the group chat. And I I said like right before we went on this massive run of chunk plays, I was like, yeah, I mean, this is really exciting, but like, we're still not getting anything that's like 10 plus yards. And that's, it was, it was coming off of a, it was a pitch play to the left side and Connor Hayward, he had a nice hole and he went up, got like six, seven yards. And I made the comment in the group chat, like, man, this running game, it looks, it's fun. It's exciting that we actually have something going, but it still seems like it's impossible to just get like a 10 yard run chunk play. And I think on that drive, we had like five or six of them the rest of the way. So man, it was, it was really fun to watch an actual like offense that, that relatively consistently generated first downs on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that was, and, and I think 70% of the credit probably should go to the offensive line. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I talked last time I was on the podcast a little bit about how it just felt like, you know, you watch a team like Wisconsin, their running back gets tackled kind of in the mess and they end up with like a five yard gain. And then when we were watching Michigan state, same thing would happen and we'd have like no gain one yard loss, whatever it is. But yesterday it was, it was that, I'm not saying we looked like a Wisconsin running game, but it had a similar feel of, you know, okay, that wasn't the most impressive play, but we gained six, seven yards on first down. It just opens up the entire playbook. Uh, You mentioned that drive where we had the 10 yard, the holding penalty on first down and we converted with three straight running plays. So that drive was to, to put it in context, it was our second touchdown driver. We went up 17, nothing. It ended in that Jaden Reed, um, you know, over the shoulder basket catch in the back pylon. Uh, that was a 15 play drive, 85 yards, five minutes off the clock. Rocky Lombardi prior to the touchdown pass was 0 for 4 on that drive. He had not completed a pass on that drive. So up until the final touchdown pass to Reed, every yard we got other than one pass interference call that, that helped us with a third down conversion every yard we got on that 85 yard drive was on the ground. Uh, that is, I, I would probably say the four hour running game, the best drive we have had this season. I don't really think it's close. Um, it was a phenomenal drive and it, it was probably the, the, the best drive we had all game from a, you know, a holistic offensive perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, credit to the O-line. They also didn't give up a single sack last night. Um, and, and going back to the theme of not shooting ourselves in the foot, I actually went back and counted. We only had eight negative plays total yesterday. We had one of them was the holding penalty on Duplain on that drive. Um, that was actually the only holding penalty or negative penalty. I think our offense had the entire game we had other than that, we had like seven runs for anywhere between minus one and minus four yards. And we had one negative two yards screen pass to Connor Hayward. So all in all, we had eight negative plays on offense. We only ran five plays from behind the sticks the entire game, you know, whether it was first, second, third, and 11 or more. I mean, that is such a drastic night and day black and white difference from what we've been watching the rest of this season. Um, And I don't know if that's credit to, you know, the extra week of preparation uh, maybe something about Northwestern scheme was allowing us to to play under less pressure in the backfield, whatever it was, it was just so refreshing to see this team take a step forward, 
put themselves in positions to, to succeed, stay ahead of the sticks. And, uh, and like I said earlier, a couple of times, just make just enough plays, to, you know, to come out with the win and make just a few more plays than your opponent. And, you know, rankings aside, that's, that's all you need to do every game. Just make more plays than your opponents and don't shoot yourself in the foot. And that's exactly what this team did. So shout out the offensive line. Uh, I want to give credit to Rocky. His final stat line and through the air was, if you take away the 75 yard touchdown, it was pretty bad. He was like 10 for 25 for less than a hundred yards and a touchdown and a pick, but he made up for it. He didn't make those other than the one interception. He didn't make those massive mistakes that we've seen from him earlier this season. And he showed us new wrinkles on the ground in the running game where he converted like three or four massive first downs with his legs. So uh, he made up for it. And I'm just, I'm really excited to see it because again, you don't necessarily have the offense isn't the strength of the team, but they made the plays they needed to, to put us in that, in a position to succeed. So credit the coaching, credit the offense. Um, it was an awesome game. Yeah. So yeah, th- we talked about the kind of weekly Antoine Simmons uh, segment. Uh, this will be the weekly Rocky Lombardi segment. Uh, Scott, you've kind of ridden the Rocky Lombardi roller coaster a little bit more than most of us. You were pretty high on him after the first couple weeks, after the Rutgers game, after the Michigan game. Uh, I've been pretty consistently critical of him the whole way along. And I guess today, like, this this might not be what you would expect but like i there's nothing really to take away from rocky's performance for me like it it is what nothing changes about my opinion of him because like you said like his passing stats one he started the game one for three with 75 yards and a touchdown since then 10 for 24 92 yards a touchdown and a pick even when you include the 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 75 yard touchdown play 40% completion percentage 167 yards i mean he's just not a consistently good passing quarterback and i said it after the michigan game like that can be okay like i i'm it's okay for for having a quarterback who's going to hit the occasional deep ball and to give him some credit like he he makes those deep balls look easy right when he has an open guy down there he hits them it's just that he makes every other throw look so difficult that it's like there was the one play uh late in the game where he hit Jalen Naylor right over the middle of the field he hits him in stride it's a touchdown and he just made it look so difficult. And this is what drives me nuts about him. Like the, the great quarterbacks, they make playing the position look easy, right? You just drop back, you fired off to this guy, you fired off to this guy. And we've seen like through college, through the NFL, you've seen quarterbacks that just make the game look really simple. Justin Fields, when you watch Ohio State, he makes playing quarterback look like I could do it. Like he genuinely makes it look like, and people have these conversations all the time about like Ohio state. They're like, well, I could go in there and throw for 200 yards. It's like, well, one, no, you can't. And two, it's like, that's because a great quarterback is just making it look so effortless and Rocky doesn't do that. And that's okay. Because like you said, he finally has, I guess, taken to heart. Like we, we hear about this competitive nature all the time. And he finally used his legs in this one, 10 carries for 65 yards. And that was such a big difference in this game, getting first downs, uh, scrambling, getting first downs on design QB draws. There was a couple read options. Like he made such a big difference with his legs. And if that's going to be a facet of this game, like, look, I, I still think, again, nothing has changed. I still think that we should be aggressively targeting quarterbacks in the transfer portal because we're not going to win a, a Big Ten championship with this guy back there. But again, if if that's going to be kind of the game plan here where we're able to establish something on the ground, he's able to to hit a couple deep shots for some big explosive passing plays, like, we can win some games and that's okay. So I don't know, like maybe it sounds crazy after this, you know, huge win, but I I don't know, like my, my opinion of Rocky Lombardi hasn't really changed. He can throw a nice deep ball. He doesn't hit the short to intermediate passes that you want him to, but he finally got some yards generated on the ground. And, And I think that was the difference in his performance between, you know, bad Rocky and good Rocky. This was good Rocky. 
only because he, he finally got something going on the ground. Yeah. And I mean, there were, to, to be fair, there were instances that his receivers didn't do him a lot of favors. I know yeah, there was a couple Reed drops, had a drop, sure. Foster had a drop, Naylor had a drop. Um, and he made a couple plays. He had a nice third down conversion to uh, Tyler Hunt over the middle. It was like a 15 yard uh, completion on third and 10. Um, and he had a couple other good ones. He had a, the late one to, to read, I think it was in the fourth quarter to the outside. He slung it right in there on tight coverage. So he made some plays, but yeah, all in all, I mean, he, he doesn't necessarily, he's not making those, like you said, short to intermediate throws, the real ones that you build drives on. Um, but he really, he seems to be now starting to understand his strengths and weaknesses a little bit better. He's taking what's there for him. Obviously, like we said, he's throwing it out of bounds. He did that a couple bounds, times. That was extending oh, plays with his legs. And, and maybe, I mean, some of that may come down to what the coaches are asking him to do now that they know who he is as well. Um, you know, you don't necessarily expect if you can hit the deep ball for your quarterback to struggle in the short game. Um, but now that we know that, you know, they can coach to that. They can say, Rocky, if, if it's not really there, if you're not really seeing it, you know, extend the play, look for something on the ground. And if it's all not there, just take it to the next play. And, you know, that's what we're starting to see. And I mean, to say that it, it, our quarterback went 11 for 27 with an interception <laughs> and under 200 yards of passing. I mean, you, you would not expect, especially against a good team, top 10 team like Northwestern, you know, if you just gave me that information and didn't tell me the score, I would have been like, Ooh, how bad was it? You know, but because we played to what was there to who we were to, to our strengths and didn't shoot ourselves in the foot. Like I continue to say, you know, we came out with the win and, um, it's exactly like you said, it's a process game. You can see kind of the mentality coming together. The defense, like you said, had a phenomenal game too. So, um, yeah, I mean, Rocky, it is what it is before the game. You know, they're talking about him getting the start. They said it's because they like his ability to manage the game. And honestly, from what I've seen between him and Thorne in the limited reps that we have seen Thorne, I do think Rocky has a little bit better grasp of the overall offense and running the scheme and running the plays and everything. He does seem more confident. He seems to do more in pre-snap to get the team ready for the coverage that he sees. So from all that, you know, that perspective, I think, I, I still do think he's probably the best option we have, maybe not long-term, but at least right now, as far as who we're rolling out onto the field, you know, this, these games, I think he's probably the best option. And, and like I said, we're playing to what we're playing now to his abilities and where his game is at now. And we beat a top 10 team with that. So say what you want about his stats, but you know, he got a win and now he has two top 15 wins. I mean, <laughs> obviously the Michigan game. He also has before. two wins, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I tweeted last night that, you know, his, his total list of wins is at number 13 Michigan in a rivalry game and home against number eight Northwestern. And obviously there's a lot more context to that, but that's a hell of a list of wins. Uh, especially for a guy who, like you said, is two and three this year. So, yeah, um, and of course, everybody follow at Spartan Martin 18 on Twitter. Uh, of course, my account standing room MSU Scott actually is doing some of the tweeting on my account too. So it's, it's a shared project here, but uh, the Twitter family is always uh, an interesting one, you know, going back and forth. Now, really quick here, because we will, we I do want to make sure we get to all these Twitter questions here. Scott, uh, before we do, is there anything else that you want to get off your chest? Anywhere else you want to take this thing? <laughs> um, no, I mean, when you look at just general keys of the game, what won this game, you know, we won the battle in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Rocky and Hayward finally made plays with their legs and credit the offensive line for that as well. Deep passing threat reemerged uh, with a couple of deep throws obviously the nailer highlight and and team defense i mean at all three levels of the field the defense made it challenging for northwestern they hurried and pressured the quarterback they stopped the run the defensive backs were all over the receivers and there was just nowhere for northwestern's offense to go so um great game also shout out to mel tucker for completely stealing greg shiano's chop um obviously there's a lot <laughs> of um stealing of the kind of quirky coaching stuff uh i don't think i saw mel tucker do the chop at all before we played Rutgers and um, now, you know, they were doing an all game on the sidelines. Tom Allen stole our relentless. So I guess it's, it's going around the big 10, but uh, <laughs> we, we continued to chop last night and we brought the tree down. So uh, I guess it's working. 
Um, but yeah, no, awesome win. Hopefully we can continue to build on that. Don't know if we're going to see Ohio State next week. If we don't see them, we got a shot against Penn State with an extra week of prep for a, for a 500 season this year, which all in all, I'd say I uh, couldn't ask for much more than that. No, I, I couldn't have said it better. So let's get to some of these. Uh, some of these we kind of already addressed, so we'll blitz through a few of these. I think there's a couple good takes here. So uh, start off with Kevin Collins on Instagram, something we really just talked about, but just to give him the shout out, he says, so uh, is Rocky the guy again? And again, I guess my take would be like, just to wrap it up, like for this year, yeah, uh, you know, he, he's certainly shown he's, he's capable of it at times. Uh, but if, if, if it's me, I, I'm still aggressively targeting quarterbacks in the transfer market because I, I don't think he's the long-term answer here. So um, was there another, I think, I think there was another Rocky take on Twitter. I don't think as I'm scrolling through here, there's actually been, since we started recording here, there's been two more questions, Scott. I don't know if you saw these, but uh, we'll, we'll get to them. Now let's see here. Uh, we'll start with Jeff Sparty, Jeff on Twitter Regardless of how happy I am, one, why does Hayward get so many carries? Two, why don't we go deep more? Seems to be Lombardi's strength with how happy refs are to call pass interference. Seems like our best threat offensively. Um, I guess, you know, to start with the Rocky side of that and the the passing part, since we were just talking about it, um, you can't rely on throwing the ball deep 25 times a game. Like it, it certainly has to be part of your toolkit. It, it's got to be part of what you do. And especially with this team, it is the strength, but like, you're, you're not going to get away with a game like the Michigan game every week. It's just not part of the cards. And when you're running the ball effectively, we don't need to, right? So you're just asking for mistakes. You're asking for turnovers when you do that too often, as far as the Hayward part, he played a good game. Like at the end of the day, 24 carries, 96 yards. His longest carry was 12 yards. Like it doesn't jump off the page, but number one, Jordan Simmons was out in this game. So it was basically Hayward or Collins, but number two, and this was a quick take I had on, on Connor Hayward. I wanted to make sure I got out of the way. Like some people are saying he played a great game. I, I just think he looked like Connor Hayward with a better offensive line. Like he wasn't out there in the open field making people miss. I, I would imagine that he had like five yards after contact and maybe broke one tackle, but it, it was a good offensive line. He has decent vision. He finds the hole. He gets the four or five yards that's required. And uh, you know, that's all we needed this week. Yeah. I mean, there are a few different people who brought up, you know, Connor Hayward, uh, Colin Clegg, at Colin Clegg four on Twitter. Why did Hayward do so well against the Northwestern defense? I think we can dovetail into that as well. But yeah, just to go back to that original question, why don't we throw it deep more? I mean, first of all, we did throw it deep probably five or six times last night where we were trying to get the ball over the top of the defense. And most of those were either way too long or out of bounds. And, you know, we did, just didn't hit them or the receivers didn't get separation. I mean, and, and that's why you don't throw it deep, you know, 10, 15, 20 times a game is because, that's it's not always going to be there with the amount of time the ball is in the air you're asking to throw interceptions or something else to go wrong and at the end of the day a lot of it relies on like a semi-blown coverage that nailer uh touchdown the safety should have been over the top of him and he got a little bit too low and got his hips turned and and got burned and that does not happen very often so it's you know it's something that you try to hit a, a few times a game this year against michigan we got a lot of them uh because they didn't have help over the top with safeties but most defenses are going to be leaving safeties over the top on a majority of plays especially when you're spreading it out with three four wide receivers so it's just not always there um and and we did like i said we did try to hit quite a few times uh nailer was just the only one who really got separation and got under the ball so um and like you said if the running game's working a coach is going to take the running game 10 times out of 10 it takes time off the clock it keeps the ball in your hands it's a less of a threat for something to go wrong. Um, and, and why does Connor Hayward get the ball so much? Like you said, first of all, Jordan Simmons, our lead back this year was hurt. So he's off the table. Eli Collins still got 13 touches and three of those went backwards. Uh, same offensive line as Hayward. He, he was averaging like 2.3 yards per carry last night. He just was not very effective. I don't think Brandon Wright's really going to be part of the game plan for the rest of this year. So you're really just left this game with Hayward and Collins and Hayward was making the most of the holes he got and, and Collins was not. So 
I mean, I'm not really sure where else you're going to put the ball. And on top of that, Hayward's better catching the ball and he's a better pass protector. So it keeps defenses honest. Um, they, when Collins is in, you can kind of, if he gets the ball, you just rush down to get him. If he doesn't get the ball, you just kind of ignore him. When Hayward's in, there's a little bit more to think about. I mean, he's not, he's not a Heisman candidate or anything where you have to build your game plan around him, but you have to account for him a little bit more than you do with Collins. So um, all in all, he just provides generally a more robust threat to the defense right now from what we're seeing. And until Collins can really find his legs um, and find the same holes Hayward was finding last night, I think, uh, excuse me, the cop, uh, yeah, Hayward was finding, I think Hayward's our best bet. So um, yeah, I mean, he, like you said, he's not the most exciting. He, he has a tendency to fall forward, which coaches like uh, he keeps the ball moving downhill. He doesn't switch back, make mistakes and lose six yards, which some guys do. Um, so he's, he's a safe player. He does a lot of things good from a mental and technical standpoint. And, uh, he just, I think gives us the best chance to keep the sticks moving right now. Yeah. And I just realized that like going into the game, I think it was you that mentioned on our group chat, like, uh, man, it would be nice to see a, uh, Eli Collins breakout game. And I, I said exactly these words. So yeah, like 10 carries for 35 yards, and he had 13 carries for 34 yards. So he was just short of the Eli Collins breakout game. But um, yeah, it was, I mean, the, the running game all in all was solid. Uh, you mentioned Colin Clegg's question. Uh, we already talked about the Buckarine. Is this win more important than the Michigan one? Uh, we talked about Mason. Let's see here. Uh, Scott L. Brown, S.L. Brownie. Uh, just wanted to shout him out. He says, still fighting hard after how we lost our last two games. Credit to the coaches and players for keeping that Spartan dog attitude. Uh, let's see. Spartan 18770. As Michigan State finishes up this season, what do you think the recruits for 21 and 22 think of this coaching staff and program? Um, look, like we're 26. We're not 17, 18-year-old kids, so it's hard to put yourself in their shoes. Uh, but I, I don't know, man, like, I think that at the end of the day to, to try to make it quick, like it's, it's again, this was the game where you start to see the process unfold and you start to see what type of team they want in East Lansing. So if you're the type of recruit, that's going to fit that, you know, we look at a guy like Audric Estime that we're worried about losing, uh, maybe this is a game that he can take a look at and say, hey, well, this offensive line actually showed me something. Maybe I'll have someone to block for me. And, and the coaching staff certainly wants to run the football. Um, so maybe, you know, that's a, a good reason for him to hang on to his, his commitment status. But yeah, I don't know. Like it, it, this was just the game where you start to see the process unfold. So the kids finally get a chance to see what the the plan is for the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway. You know, these coaches, what they're preaching, uh, the players are being are receptive to, not only in the way that they approach the game, but now in the way that they're playing the game, uh, they're buying in. And, and not only that, you know, you, I don't know how much you want to make of press conferences. A lot of it is coached and nuanced and whatever. But, you know, at the end of this game, somebody asked Rocky Lombardi, you know, what he thinks of Mel Tucker. Um, given almost a full season under him. And he said, I'm paraphrasing, I don't have the quote in front of me, but something along the lines of Coach Tucker's the real deal. He's doing the right things. He's going to he's gonna be special here, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Now, you know, a lot of guys in a lot of programs are going to say something similar to that because, you know, you don't want to backstab your coach in a press conference. Well, Sam, really quick, Sam Ellinger at Texas, they they asked him after the game, they lost to, to Iowa state. It was their third loss of the season. They asked Sam Ellinger, basically the same question uh, about the coaching staff and like, Hey, is this, you know, the right fit, whatever. And, and Sam Ellinger, their starting quarterback goes, well, you know, I, I guess that's what we've been trying to figure out for the last 10 years. <laughs> so <laughs> it's definitely not what everybody around the country is saying about their own coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, when you have that kind of uh, narrative and commentary coming out of the program combined with a couple, I mean, really, 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 really big wins this season, obviously we have our losses and a lot of them were ugly and uh, you can make excuses for it or just say, you know, they were bad games and, and we should have done better, which a lot of that may be true, but you know, 
there's there's stuff to build on. The messaging is, I think, attractive, combined with the fact that Mel Tucker has really invested in a 21st century approach to recruiting. You know, he's he's not ignoring, even though he's still preaching, you know, hard, tough, big time football and putting the work in and everything. He's also not afraid to talk about building your brand, getting your attention um, and, and some of the, I guess, flashier sides of the game that maybe previous regimes were hesitant to really adopt in their approach. So um, it's exciting. I think from a recruits perspective, you know, there's plenty to be excited about. There's certainly things that some guys could be a little bit scared away by, but it just comes down to what you're receptive to and what kind of coach and what kind of program you're looking for. But I certainly think this strengthens it again. It's just another uh, notch in the belt, if you will, another playing card that Mel Tucker can walk into a living room and say, look, you know, we got a lot to work on, a lot to improve. We're not where we want to be yet, but we've got results because we've been working at this for a few months now and uh, it's starting to work out in our favor. So I think, yeah, it's just another reason to be excited about Michigan State for recruits and, and everyone else who's watching the program. Yeah, you you mentioned a couple of the nuances of the recruiting specifically, and I think that's one of the biggest differences between this staff and the last one. Mark D'Antonio, he took the the family approach, right? He goes into a living room. He tells, he tells the mom, he tells the grandma, he tells the dad, like, you know, your, your son is going to enter like a very family oriented atmosphere that he's going to be around, you know, his, it's a family program. Right. And Mel Tucker, I, I mean, not to say that he's not taking that approach, but you can see the, Hey, we're going to allow you to build a brand. We're going to allow you to, to, be interactive on social media and, and things like that. And I think he's just kind of taken this thing to the 21st century, really, um, which, which is pretty exciting. Uh, let's see, to finish up here, I guess this isn't really, you know, worth spending a whole lot of time on, but Spartan 18770 again. If MSU has a game with Ohio State next week and lose by 21, do we call that a victory? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think there's any like score margin that you can feel good about or like, Oh, if we lose by 21, but if we lose by 28, like the it's, it's all going to depend on the context of the game. Like if it's a sloppy weather game and we still lose by three or four touchdowns, that's not going to feel very good. But um, if we go out there and, and let's say it's competitive for three quarters, it's a, it's a 10 point game going into the fourth quarter and then, you know, they just kind of run away with a, a three or four score game all in the fourth quarter. Like then, then I'm cool with that. That, that, that would be kind of a moral victory for me. So I don't know, there, there's not really any like specific margin of victory or, or loss that we have to have. Yeah. I mean, I think all in all, if, if we're within a couple scores against Ohio state context aside, we would say that's, that's a pretty good game given what we've seen. If we lose by 28, I wouldn't be that surprising. We lost to Iowa by 42. We lost to Indiana by, <laughs> you know, a boatload as well. So like, we don't like talk about that anymore. We just beat a top 10 team. <laughs> Keep looking ahead. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's context driven. It depends on how the team looks. It depends on whether they're still improving on their previous performances and looking like they're continuing to take steps forward. Uh, and we'll break, we'll break down the Ohio state game a little bit more. If it does look like there's going to be a game uh, this coming weekend, we'll certainly drop a, a breakdown on Thursday, uh, as we usually do, but, uh, yeah, let's not spend too much time on it. We'll see what the context allows. I think 21 is probably a pretty decent, um, indicator if you will, but it, like you said, it's going to be very dependent on, uh, on how they look in the context of the game. Yeah. And to wrap this up with two, uh, two tweets that have actually come in since we started recording, I guess, neither of them are questions. So we can just kind of run through these and finish this thing up. JREL at rel to true. The defense was outstanding. They certainly do not play like a sub 500 team forced four turnovers and allowed 63 yards rushing reminds me of the 2012 team. Uh, it's, it almost sounds like an insult. Like, yeah, that, that sounds like the 2012 team, but I, I I'm guessing the context is like, you know, you started to see a few good things on the defensive side and it led into, it was the kind of catalyst for the 2013 team. I don't know, maybe that's where he was heading there, but <laughs> off off the first read, it kind of sounds like an insult, but I guess this is still a team, like you said, that lost a game by 40 points in conference. So 
Uh, and our guy, of course, Luke Baker, LW Baker 33. He slid in right at the end, right before we started uh, recording. Luke, if you're listening, uh, I was like, man, you know, we got a bunch of Twitter questions, but none from Luke. Like, where, where's he at? He slid in at the last minute. He said, uh, this team can obviously put up a fight. It's a little irritating, though, considering we've played every game uh, except for Michigan. I'm, I'm guessing we're missing how we've played. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah, I just misread it. It's a little irritating, though, considering how we've played every game except for Michigan. The bye week definitely helped. This defense could be nasty next year. Uh, totally agree. So let's wrap this thing up. Uh, awesome win. Top 10 win. Again, don't let anybody tell you that ah, I was just Northwestern. Enjoy this. Enjoy this program win. Enjoy this huge win for the coaching staff. And, uh, you know, let's see where where this thing can take us. Like you said, Scott, if there is an Ohio State game, we'll certainly break that down. If not, uh, we'll, we'll make sure we get plenty of content for you. We've already dealt with that once this year against Maryland. Um, so we, we, we will certainly have enough to talk about, especially after two, uh, good performances, three bad performances and kind of see where that puts us here. So, uh, regardless, you will be hearing for, from us on Thursday, uh, whether we are breaking down a game or not, uh, Scott, anything else before we get out of here? No, just scrolling through Twitter, saw Michigan State on BTN's Twitter account, just tweeted teams with two wins over AP top 15 teams this year, Alabama, Georgia, and uh, Michigan State. So Let's I go, think baby. That's, that's all that needs to be said. Uh, until next time, go green. So the three best teams in the country are Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan State. That's all I needed to hear. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Everybody, have yourselves a great Monday. Wear your Spartan gear with pride to the office. Have yourselves a great week. See you on Thursday. Take care.